Thank you for joining Americans for Democratic Actions podcast, Lighting the Darkness. I'm Don Kustler, ADA National Director. Prepare to light the flame. We're happy to be joined today by uh, Pennsylvania State Senator uh, Art Haywood. Uh, he's involved in a number of things, but uh, most dear and near to our hearts is he serves as the national president of Americans for Democratic Action. Welcome, Senator Haywood. Thank you. Thank you, Don. I'm glad to be on the podcast. All right. Well, excellent. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking time to, to do this and join us. So uh, for our listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of who, what, where, when, and why of, 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 of uh, you know, uh, Art Haywood? Sure, sure. So I was raised by, by my mother uh, with my sister. We had a big emphasis on public education. Uh, I was fortunate to go to college through law school and began my legal career representing individuals who are um, who are facing mortgage foreclosure, um, which may be a situation we're going to see soon. Right, uh, and then uh, representing nonprofits who are doing um, affordable housing. I've been married for thirty years, and my wife Julie, and we have three ch- ch- children, all adults, all college grads. All right. Very proud of that. Um, I got involved in politics after the 08 Obama came. Very involved in the campaign. Uh, after he won, it looked to me like we could make a difference in government. And I ran for a local government, a township commission, won, and then ran for state s- senate and won. Um, and so that's the last 63 years. All right. Well, very good. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, there's there's always a challenge with, with housing, whether it's availability of housing or, you know, keeping the housing that you're able to do and, and navigate um, what is uh, a challenging and confusing, you know, system around that. So that's great that you, um, in a way, you were getting active in activism and politics, even by doing that in a way. Um in your legal right. legal career, um, t- uh, tell us about the community that you're you're serving uh, there in, in the Pennsylvania Senate. Sure. So I have a mixed district that includes uh, some very affluent parts of Pennsylvania, as well as some very depressed parts of the state. Right. And we represent about two hundred forty-five. We're about 245,000 P. And I would say that um, it's a great honor. It's a great privilege to represent these individuals. Uh, we have three main concerns coming out of the district. Number one is support for education. Uh, public education is, is a foundation for opportunity. Uh, you may know that Frederick Douglass said that uh, once you are, can read, you are forever free. So that's been a core of what we've been trying to do. Reducing gun violence is another key feature. It's quite a bit of gun violence in the Philadelphia part of my district, and we need to meet it. 
And the third key issue has been raising pay of individuals. Uh, we have a very low minimum wage in Pennsylvania, $7.25 an hour. Uh, we get a uh, number of people in poverty because of that low paid people working seven and a quarter, 40 hours a week is poverty. Yes. Okay. So those are the three top issues we've been focusing on um, in, in, in this area. Um, I would like to say something about my, my history. Part of the reason I got involved in politics is from my uh, upbringing uh, in Toledo, Ohio. And there uh, attended a church uh, led by Reverend Al Reed. And he um, had, um, he taught us from the Black Liberation School of Theology uh, that Jesus was for the oppressed, that Jesus was, uh, main vision was to uh, liberate the poor. And that is the religious foundation under which I uh, grew up. And so as I became older uh, and I still had a pretty strong religious conviction, uh, I saw my role in part as being part of a group of people whose uh, mission was to free the oppressed. And this free the oppressed mission for me has just been deeply rooted in my uh, religious training um, as a child. So it's interesting how much uh, your childhood can affect the rest of your life. But it, that has been um, my spiritual core as probably even and motivational core for much of the work uh, in which I've been involved as an adult. I do want to share that. So you mentioned uh, the key issues in the community that, that you're being active in, both just in the community sort of on a personal level, but professionally. You mentioned education. You mentioned um, gun violence, certainly um, pay increases, uh, and uh, minimum wage and so forth. I, I was curious, uh, and I, I think the answer is yes, but I wanted you to, to talk a little bit about it. Um, are there some sort of official things that you're doing in your capacity as senator on a couple of these issues, whether it's bills that are, that are up and being debated or maybe have been passed through your chamber or so forth? Uh, give us a little update on, on some of those issues. Sure, sure. Let me start with gun violence. So I proposed legislation uh, for uh, the past four years that would require individuals to get a license uh, with a fingerprint and training before they can get a handgun. Uh, handguns are the main weapons that are used for uh, killing people in, uh, in, in, the, in the United States and in Pennsylvania. And what we found is this is handgun licensing uh, legislation does work. Uh, it was evidence to work in uh, Missouri. It's currently in place in Maryland. And so uh, that's my number one piece of legislation to uh, make it more difficult to get guns and much more difficult obviously, <clears throat> to circulate guns uh, when they are often stolen. I've also been very fortunate to work with Moms Demand Action. 
for the last, well, for my entire term. Uh, we have uh, sponsored gun violence awareness days in the Capitol, as well as marches uh, in the community. Uh, I've spoken at a number of gun violence awareness events and have been really one of the leaders of the gun violence uh, prevention movement uh, in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, we have a gun violence awareness day resolution pending at the state Senate now. And for my first four years, I could not get the Senate even to agree to gun violence awareness day, uh, but we wow. were successful. Yeah, but we okay. were, were successful this past year. Uh, last year was the first year. 2019 was the first year that there was a gun violence awareness day resolution for, uh, in the Senate. So it's, you can, you can get a sense of the distance we got to go between awareness, resistance to awareness. Obviously, prevention is a much further step. Right. Um, sure. Most recently, um, a co-sponsor of Raise the Ways legislation to move to $15 an hour. Um, been consistent and advocate for that. Um, and in light of the most recent killing and murder of George Floyd, of course, he follows a number of other people who have been unarmed, uh, right. black men and women uh, who've been killed by police. Uh, I sponsored in uh, 2014 and every year thereafter legislation that would create independent investigation of police-involved shootings uh, so that they could be independently investigated by the attorney general for the state, as opposed to the local district attorneys who day-to-day -day work with police in order right. to prosecute criminals. So that's some of the legislation I've advanced. Okay. You'd also mentioned education. Um, what are some of the things that you're tracking or, you know, trying to uh, bring about, you know, differences or enhancements in education? So I've got two sides to the education approach. One side is funding. Uh, Pennsylvania has the most inequitable school funding formula in the nation, according to the U.S. Department of Education. Wow. And so we have some districts where the kids are getting $20,000 know, $20, a kid that's being spent, and other districts where it's nine or ten. So we have adopted a funding formula that would create a more fair distribution, but only new money is applied to the more fair distribution. So I have supported, amongst other people, uh, legislation that would accelerate the spending that goes into the fair funding formula. Uh, right now, it's probably around 10 or yeah, it could be up to 13 percent of the total education spending is under the fair formula. The balance is under the unfair formula. So we propose legislation so that in uh, five years, we could move to all the money going into the fair formula, providing a graduated time, incremental, giving school districts a chance to make the adjustment. So that's number, number one. In the district, uh, what we have done is sponsored some summer reading programs at recreation centers. We're up to 1,000 children served in the last uh, five years who are in grades uh, first, second, and third grade. Uh, there's a number of studies that say try to get the children to read by fourth grade. That's an important turning point for them. And so we have worked with um, recreation centers and others to get that done. Okay. Okay. 
Um, I want to, um, to touch on, on two things. I want to come back to uh, the George, George Floyd murder um, and, and, and uh, racism in America a, a bit. Before we do that, though, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the sort of the, the political landscape, kind of put, put your politics hat on for me and, and um, talk a little bit about either some of the things you're, you've worked on or um, are working on uh, there in Pennsylvania around sort of the upcoming election. Sure. Yeah, no, glad to do that. So um, I got involved in the 1984 Jesse Jackson presidential campaign. Right. And the 1988 uh, Rainbow Coalition uh, campaign of Jesse Jackson. And I believe that that framework is still the best one for governing America. And that is a framework that says we got to bring people from diverse backgrounds, all ethnicities together on an agenda of, of opportunity. Uh, I think that was the core message of the, um, those Jesse Jackson races. That framework applies today. And so what we need, what I've been involved in um, since those campaigns have been uh, trying to create multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational campaigns that can have an agenda. That's an opportunity agenda. And our greatest victory, I guess, I mean, other than getting Barack Obama elected, which I was a a volunteer here in uh, in Cheltenham, along with my wife, to try to get uh, Obama elected two times. But most recently in 2018, after we got the current president, uh, there was a clear resistance to him, a lot of anti-Trump uh, activism. And right. we were able to encourage those many, not all, but several anti-Trump activists to get involved with the local elections particularly the uh, 2018 elections. And we were so successful. We were able to create a group called Turn Pennsylvania Blue that was all focused on state and local elections. And we won uh, over a dozen state house and state Senate races. We won well over a dozen local county uh, commissioner and local elected official races and turn uh, Delaware County Blue turn Bucks County blue, turn Chester County blue. These are all uh, collar counties of Philadelphia, all right. turn blue along with uh, gain representations in the United States Congress, as well as again, state legislature. So <clears throat> today <clears throat> have the same framework. We are working to get the president out, working with some of the same <clears throat> organizations, but not just the same organizations. Uh, turn PA blue is still strong still uh, working to defeat uh, Republicans uh, in the state. Uh, but we're looking at uh, an agenda that includes new Americans. New Americans are uh, uh, from all over the world, come to the United States, become citizens, and this is a group that has been targeted by the president. We believe that we can get those individuals out of the hopelessness, out of the feeling that nothing can be done, out of the oppression and, and being that the target that the president has created on them and get them involved in voter registration drives, get them involved in voting, 
so they can make a difference as we uh, attempt to beat the president here in Pennsylvania. We created an organization called uh, Crush Trump. And the Crush Trump organization has uh, this increasing uh, number of people involved. Uh, I think that's the right perspective that we have to crush the president. I think we can do so here in Pennsylvania as long as we're well organized to get it done. Absolutely. Um, well, that sounds good. I know that ADA, um, you know, was aware of uh, Turn PA Blue and was, was doing some work in 2018 as well. And, and we're looking to do, uh, you know, similar activity, like you mentioned in those, those collar counties uh, for, for those that may be listening who are not familiar. So uh, Philadelphia proper uh, is on the southeastern corner of the state, which is, is uh, roughly a square <laughs> um, and uh, it's sort of a semicircle, uh, mm-hmm. if you will, of Philadelphia. And then uh, and the reason it's called a collar is because it sort of collars around, um, you know, more out into the, the state a little bit. These The, the counties that, uh, that, that Art is mentioning, uh, Bucks and Montgomery and Delaware, um, Chester is in there too, um, which have been traditionally, I know when I worked politics in Pennsylvania uh, many moons ago, uh, th- what the collar counties were known for was um, being particularly at the local and state level um, Republican, but that the politics of the electorate were very swingy when it came to um, <clears throat> uh, statewide and national elections. You You had a good number of folks who were maybe more socially progressive, but can, you know, financially conservative and I'm oversimplifying it, but uh, you had this sort of uh, swingy dynamic between local and, and what you're saying is that the the efforts that that you and and coalition partners have made is, is to, to take that, that opportunity and, and, you know, shifting demographics and over time and so forth and, and get some of those more local and state, um, you know, uh, offices um, uh, to, to, to be more progressively, I guess, represented yeah, <laughs> um, and so forth. And that's great. And there's, and like you said, there's, there's more to do. I know would love to get a, um, a progressive um, majority in the state Senate. <laughs> um, yeah. And, that, and that's, uh, uh, you know, certainly something that we have our eyes on, uh, you know, helping out with. And so looking forward to, to working with, you know, our folks there locally and, and other partners and you on that in 2020. And certainly the big, the big piece of this is, is crushing Trump. Uh, certainly you had mentioned, and this is by way of, of pivoting to, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, racism, uh, and, and kind of where we're, we're currently at this moment. Um, you had mentioned at, at a, at a meeting of our, our organization that, that you felt like that defeating Trump was a, a number one agenda. And, you, and what you outlined is the reason for that. You, you mentioned his sort of outward uh, racism and, and so forth. And, and this was before, uh, you know, the, the latest uh, incident happened, which is, is seeing a, a lot of activism and so forth uh, with, with the George Floyd murder. I wanted to give you a chance to, Talk a little bit about that, both those those connections and and you know what sure. what's happening and what you're feeling in this moment. Yeah, so um, 
I have been completely clear that the current president is really the, the racist in chief. Uh, from those who may not be as familiar with his history, uh, in the 60s, he and his father uh, were accused of housing discrimination, uh, keeping African-Americans out of apartments that they own right. and, and not ridding to African-Americans. Uh, the Central Park Five, which has received quite a bit of attention, uh, those young men who were not guilty uh, were lambasted consistently uh, by the current president in, in New York City. Uh, and the current president, even more recently, has said the Klan, Ku Klux Klan, the major white supremacist organization in the nation, uh, has good people in it. He has gone further to say that there's certain Af African-American Congress people, uh, two or three of the African-American Congress people who are women, uh, should go back home, meaning go back to Africa. Right. Uh, he called Africa a shithole, a shithole continent. So this is the context of the of the president, and it seems to me that uh, having obviously a, a racist in the White House emboldens all those who feel uh, the same way. And the hate crime incidents have gone up uh, since the pre uh, under the current president. Uh, the police brutality. Uh, has gone up. It's not to say that it was not present before, uh, but it is on the rise. And so uh, the president's willingness to put the military out against uh, uh, urban areas, all part of the same story. Right. So this is, this is a big moment for us. Uh, and it's one reason amongst many others uh, why we got to get this guy out. Right. Um obviously, and you're alluding to this, there, there are many instances of uh, police brutality, of, um, you know, the targeting of African-Americans um, <clears throat> and um, injustice, you know, in these, these areas. What do you think might be different about this moment? Because we've seen now, I mean, George, the George Floyd murder is getting, uh, you know, the bulk of the attention, of course, right now, but there were just in the last, you know, month or two, two other uh, sort of high profile instances with uh, Breonna Taylor and uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Um, you know, what, what is it about maybe this moment that, that could be a, uh, a game changer as far as really digging in on change? So I'm not certain. I believe that the unrest is in part because the clarity of the video that was shared. Right. You can actually see him uh, dying from the police officer having his neck on his, his knee on his neck. So actually seeing it is, is so hard to, to take and extremely, extremely painful. So we haven't really had a video so clear um, at least not one that I've seen. So I think that's part of the reason for the unrest. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, obviously we've got the pandemic. We've got people been shut up uh, in their homes for a long time. And in, in Philadelphia, we got areas probably got 20, 30% unemployment. So we got the finance, we got the close to a depression, followed by, uh, you know, a murder we could all see on video. Now, the question you ask about what next, I think, is still to be uh, determined. One of the challenges of the current protest movement 
compared to the 60s is that uh, the leadership of it is, is how they create their demands, how they sustain demands are, are, are just not as clear. Uh, the pattern I have seen in the last few years is as uh, unarmed black man is killed, there's a protest, and then uh, 30 to 60 days later, uh, that's it. So our key question is, uh, to what extent will this be sustained? And I think it's, it's challenging. I've been in a number of meetings uh, with, uh, with individuals who were involved with the uh, protests. And um, it was clear to me that the level of organization was, was not strong um, in terms of being able to sustain this over time. Uh, nothing like the SCLC, which you know, had a budget, could function, or CORE, or SNCC, all had budgets that allowed them to function over time. Uh, right. These protesters do not seem to have anything like that kind of organization that I can see here, at least in Philadelphia, that will allow them to have a sustained presence when it gets to um, changing legislation. Um, so that's a, it's a big question to me as to how this can be sustained and whether 60 days out will have any substantive change uh, because the, the, the process of social change is not uh, uh, just event by event. It takes sustained uh, pressure, sustained activity uh, to create social change. So um, right. I'm, I'm hopeful, but it's, it's just not clear to me yet. Right. I, I mean, you make an important point and, you know, as a, organization that has been around for quite some time 70 plus years um you know we've lived that as an organization and many of our members have have lived that um you know from the the the, the higher points where there's a focus on what um a more intense focus on on the the, the challenge that we're trying to meet um, you know, versus, you know, so how do, how do you sort of build the groundwork and the, the resources that are needed? How do you sustain, you know, b beyond uh, flashpoints, um, you know, where there's, um, <clears throat> uh, like I said, a, a sort of intense scrutiny around the challenge to points where, unfortunately, it, it cycles down into a, a lower moment or we're frustrated by the political system that is not at a point where it needs to be, I think. You know, at this point, you would say, you know, many of the 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 ask that we may want um, would be difficult to get, you know, with the current configuration of sort of political power and so forth. And so we have we have an opportunity coming up pretty quickly to um, to use our vote uh, to go along with our voice. But you know, there'll be work to be done after that for, you know, for years, likely on, on different aspects of that. Um, I know one of the challenges, it's a, it's a, it's both a strength and a challenge for an organization like ADA, because we, we do have a bit of the experience of kind of building out and, and helping, you know, resource, um, whether it's just in strategic knowledge or, or other ways, um, uh, sort of longer term efforts uh, uh, for change and so forth. But we, we also sort of on the ground and we're dealing with this now with, with staff and, and our chapters, we want to also honor that 
you know, we're working with and trying to help folks who are, who really should be allowed to, to lead um, not, and not allowed. They, they, they should be leading. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but at the same point, what support can we give of, you know, resources or strategic knowledge to sort of help along? So, you know, I know that in, and so for instance, in a, a place in like Iowa where we have a staff member. So Chris Schwartz, our staff member in Iowa, um, you know, has decades of experience, you know, working on various issues and so forth. And so he's right now, you know, working with uh, local activists on this um, who are wanting to highlight, um, you know, the challenges that they have in their community around these issues. Um, but, but sort of playing that, that role of, of helper without trying to, you know, be a dominant force either that can damage a movement as well. And so playing that, that sort of balancing act between wanting to be helpful, but not, you know, trying to, you know, in any way take over, if you will. Yeah. It's a very delicate balance that you are describing uh to as you say to be the helper but you know to but not the president you know not the leader of the organization um but as you say it, it is it, it it's critical and if these movements are not sustained uh over time then the ability to get a long-term victory is uh gonna be very challenging mm-hmm. uh so um I'm hopeful, but I can say um, uh, from what I've seen in Philadelphia, in contrast with what you're describing in Iowa, uh, we got uh, it's just not clearly it's not clearly present. Doesn't mean it won't emerge. Doesn't mean that it won't emerge. So I think it's important to be hopeful, but I think it also goes to this importance of having an organization like ADA that has some uh, strategic. Uh, approach that knows how and has had experience with getting uh, laws passed, changing the rules under which we all live and having people who know what it means and what it takes to change the rules under which we all live is, is, is critical uh, to get, to get change. Um, Big challenge in the moment that we have is, uh, folks want an immediate uh, immediate victories, which uh, who doesn't want an immediate sure. victory? But uh, if we don't get the immediate victory, uh, uh, we don't want to go home. Right. We don't want to say nothing. We didn't get the victory that we wanted, and now the system doesn't work. Yeah, the system just works in a way that's different than what can produce an immediate victory. Uh, but that's one of the hopelessness things I hear and why people are saying they're not heard. Uh, I think, in fact, they are being heard. They just don't have the power to get what they want. So it's not like the cry of racism hasn't been heard. It has been heard. It's just a, the countervailing power is greater uh, to maintain the uh, uh, these systems that are oppressive. Um so I think the voices are being heard. They're just not being responded to in a way that people want. And that's largely because of the lack of uh, the power that's been organized to defeat uh, those who are in the oppressive positions. Because there's a tremendous amount of confusion about the racial dynamics and the role of white people. Um, 
and the whole claims about white uh, privilege. So let me just say this. Um, I think the core thing that white people or any other people can do is to contact their elected representatives and make demands for specific actions that can reduce police brutality. I discourage anyone, white, black, or otherwise, making calls necessary to end racism. I'm obviously for ending racism, but that's not going to be any kind of immediate solution that's going to save any black kid walking down the street from being uh, beat up by a police officer. So here's some immediate things I think should be requested. Uh, Number one, uh, we do need independent investigations of these police-involved shootings. That will increase the level of accountability uh, for everyone. Uh, Number two, we do need a review of the use of lethal force so that the lethal force can be used in more extreme situations um, than they're being used now. Because lethal force is being used in, in, in situations where it should not be used. Right. Third, every local community needs a strong citizen review board for the local police department. So the police feel some greater level of accountability to the local, uh, to the citizens, to the community. And that's another point of accountability. And finally, any uh, efforts to encourage uh, black and brown people to get into policing will help spread the level of community engagement, not just over the police force in terms of accountability, but in the police force in terms of who is doing uh, the policing. So those are some things. There's there's more, obviously, uh, you know, I could probably come up with 10 things. I I had had probably a 10-point plan. But those are some things that should be advocated for. The last thing I would say is this. The um, culture recently has, in my opinion, exaggerated the power of white people to create change and diminished the power of black and brown people to make change. This whole idea that whites have all the privilege and blacks have all the disadvantage falsely allocates who can make change. And what we need to do is recognize that by black, brown, and white people working together, that is the core combination for getting sustained change. Black, brown, and white working together. Uh, That may mean that those who have more resources can provide, write more checks to sustain a staff person, uh, to sustain an organization. But I know it's black, brown, and white people who have money who can write checks. Um, so I think that would be the, from a, a specific actions, those would be some specific actions to take. Other than obviously the big one, which is electing people who do make the laws, the lawmakers do make the laws, 
electing people who believe that the country needs to change. <clears throat> if we get people in office who believe that the country needs to change, that when they get there, they will move the country in that direction. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, uh, thank you, Senator, for joining me and, and sharing your thoughts on these issues. Um, look forward to continuing to work with you on this and, and other items uh, within ADA. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. And good luck. Thank you for listening to Americans for Democratic Actions, Lighting the Darkness podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and this is being recorded on Anchor. Hope you'll tune in or download and subscribe. You can also find information about ADA online at adaction.org. Thank you.